Hello and welcome to Brussels Sprouts, the UK's number one rated business show, according to me. That's true. Uh, my name is Dan and I'm joined by Ty Flanagan, top dog or Tiger King, Tiger King, at Breeze Block. Welcome to the show, Ty. Uh, do you like that or not? Thanks, Dan. Oh, uh, listen, I've been called worse, so it's grand. I'll take that. <laughs> that was, it wasn't meant to be bad, it was meant to be friendly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ty, thanks for coming on the show today. It's great to have you on the show. I'm really looking forward to learning more about Breeze, Breeze Block. Just quickly, um, how have you been in the last couple of weeks? Did you enjoy your Easter break? Yeah, I, um, I did, uh, albeit I've been riddled with hay fever. So oh, right. I, I've, I've suffered with hay fever for the last 40 odd years. Oh. And uh, so, yeah, so I, anyway, whatever. I used, it used, used to start until May, and I'd have it from the third week of May until the first week of August with. These days, I starts in February and I kind of finishes in June. So you know that's global warming, I guess. That's what I was going to say. That's a, if that's a reason for us to start recycling, then I guess that's the we should start doing doing that immediately. You know, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, listen, I sneezed my way through the weekend. But listen, it was it was grand. It was grand. Yeah. I guess they sort of the the sun is coming out, so it's like a price to pay, I guess, isn't it, for a bit of uh, nice weather. Absolutely. We won't complain. Um, Ty, thanks for coming on the show. What we like to start with is we like to get to know you a bit more as a person. So before we go into the business stuff, which is obviously super important, uh, I'd just like to ask you a couple of questions uh, and get to know you a little bit better. How does that sound? Okay, Dan. Okay, fire away. Okay, <laughs> here we go then. Uh, if you're in a bad mood, do you prefer to be left alone or have someone to cheer you up? Left alone. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I'm afraid it's it's a fault actually. I'm I'm uh, I, I tend to uh, to go into my shell. I'm not particularly good at uh, at speaking um, about things if I if there's something bothering me, uh, and I'm assured that is not the way to go. But um, old habits and all that. No, I think you're right. Sometimes calling off is a great um, thing to do. Just take take some time to think about it, and then in a couple of hours you're ready to get you know to to have a chat about it, perhaps. No, even then, I just, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, if it, I just, you know, I'm just best left on my own, or, or at least I, I tend to just isolate, right, you know, it's all the wrong things, it's not, not what we should do, you know, I, I see my kids, and when they've got an issue, they're much better at opening up about it and talking about it, I'm, I'm completely the opposite, but, uh, and I kind of just go into the mode of, well, I've got to sort it myself. And, um, yeah, that's that's the way it goes, you know. Fair enough. Um, what is the one thing that bothers you most about the world today? Tough one. Christ, above and high. There's a good one. Um, there's a good one, Dan. Um, I suppose... Um, I, I, I suppose the thing that bothers me most is I think there's a tendency for people to be really judgmental. Okay. Um, now I'm I'm not on on, on any social media, um, you know. Thankfully, but I, you know, it's it's impossible though not to be, um, not to be aware of just that you know for all the the pluses that social media has brought. Yeah. The um, you know, you know, of course, in life, everybody has an opinion, and that's great. But um, I guess there is a real platform now for people to be. I suppose quite nasty to other people, and uh, to hide behind the the anonymity of their keyboard or whatever, 
and um, and kind of say what they like and without any regard for who they hurt or you know. So I think if there's anything in the world that I would that I would I would change that that'd be it. No, I think that's a good answer. There are some websites that I go to, Ty, just to look at the comment sections. I don't even read the articles. I just watch the the, the toxic arguments breaking out. And I never comment, but I just find it insane that everyone just is one-upmanship everywhere you go because there's all the information in the world is available, so you can, an argument never ends. <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, I've even been on uh, a couple of WhatsApp. You know, you, you get included in some of these WhatsApp groups, you know, and it could be... But, extended family or friends or whatever and uh, I, I've actually I actually find myself withdrawing from those invariably yeah. you know somebody you know comments on a on a the top, on some controversial topic somebody else goes it and all of a sudden it can get very personal and you just think oh god you know what you know it's not that I want to bury my head in the sand and not acknowledge what's going on in the world but by the same token um, you know I, I, I'm not somebody the older I've got I've realized I don't have to have a strong opinion on everything. Yeah, I guess that that means that you're less likely to be sitting on your own, cooling off as well, uh, more often. You know, and and sometimes actually it is better just to to keep your opinions to yourself because actually you find that, well, I find it myself, I change them so regularly, you know. Uh, But the trouble is, I think when nowadays people... They, they entrench themselves in a particular point of view or stance and they feel they have to stick rigidly to that to that position. Whereas I, I, I don't see it that way. No, I think that's good to be fluid and uh, not so rigid. I think Chris Rock, the comedian, once said he's left about some things and right about other things. He doesn't want to make a decision that is just purely one way all the time because everything's, you've got different reactions to different things, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what is your who is your favourite historical figure? Ooh, Christ! Um, uh, God, I don't know. That's a that's a that's a good question. Uh, you can tell I'm not a great historian, uh, Dan. Who do you admire then? Like um, I would say, then it could be anyone current as well. Who do you admire the most right now? Um. Well, I mean, listen, a, a, histor- I can, a historical figure, I, you know, I, I, I'm not massively, I'm not a massive historian, obviously, but uh, there was a chap called Daniel O'Connell, um, who is a, in, in, in Irish circles, would be, he would be a, you know, he would be a big figure in our, in our history. And, um, you know, he, he, did, he did a lot for, um, you know, for the emancipation um, of, of, uh, of a sector of our community that was that, that wasn't being particularly well treated at the time. So he, he's a character that comes to mind. Um, a character, more, more recent characters. Um, this sounds like very an, an Irish thing, which it is. And but, you know, I mean, obviously you, you think about people like Nelson Mandela, somebody like yeah. that. But I, I always think of too, like something like Bob Geldof, you know, who. Yeah. I was never a huge Bob Geldof fan growing up. Like I thought he, you know, he was incredibly, you know, opinionated. You know, you know, um, and um, you know, he always came across to me as being thoroughly unreasonable and you know, full of himself. And of course, I and, and maybe maybe he was, but yep. uh, God, he, he used those traits to um, to do something that actually, you know, had a, had had you know. I'm not saying it changed the world, but it certainly had. And uh, so, you know, you 
with somebody like that, you think twice. You know, how does one person, um, you know, have such an influence? And uh, yeah, for somebody like him, I think he's a fairly strong character. Yeah, of course. Uh, he obviously did have a really big impact uh, on charity and things like that. Um, so last question for you is, what is the biggest risk you've ever taken? Uh, yeah, it was, was definitely um, was starting off uh, my own um, flexible office business um, almost five years ago now. It was back in July 2016. Uh, for the previous two years, I'd been... I've been operating as a consultant, um, and I kind of realized, one, I, I wasn't a good consultant, uh, and, uh, and two, I, I was really unhappy doing it. And um, so, I, I, you know, I was, I was 50 years of age. I know, I know you're going to say I don't look at Daniel, good man, but no, um, I was 50 years of age, and um, I just, I just finished or, or, or more accurately lost my, my last contract and uh, I was walking down Park Lane uh, and I rang my wife and I said listen kid you know uh, I, the phone was stopped ringing and um, I'm out of options here so um, you know whatever we've left I, I, I want to set up a business I, I, I don't think it's you know I, I think it's the only chance we have for me to keep employed um, and uh, you know, for us to move forward. So, <laughs> fortunately, I have a really understanding wife who uh, has been incredibly supportive, etc. Um, but it was a big, big risk, you know. Okay. Uh, but but you know, I, I, fully, I came across a notebook recently, and it had I'd been writing in it, and you could see for a year and a half before I set up the business, I'd been writing notes in it, yeah. and, and what I wanted to do. But I suppose in reality, Dan, I doubted if I'd ever have the bottle to go ahead and do it. Because, you know, it meant putting our, remortgaging our house, mm. putting our pension savings in, and, you know, so it was all in. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, big risk, but, uh, but there you go. You know, it's, um, uh, we've, got a, we've got so much out of it in terms of, uh, you know, working for oneself. Um, of course, there's risk and pressure that comes with that. But it gives you great freedom as well, and it's great to know, you know, uh, you know, win, lose, or draw. But you know, it's on you, right? And I like that. Um, I like that. So, uh, so yeah, there you have it. I think that's awesome. I think I could spend another half an hour just asking you about what happened next, but uh, because it's super interesting, I want to know all about it. But I'll di I digress. Uh, Ty, thank you for that. We've uh, got to know you a little bit more, and I feel like. Um, there were some tough questions, actually, so I apologise for that, actually. <laughs> I, I probably made them tougher than they needed to be, you know? <laughs> Usually I just ask you if you like dogs or cats. <laughs> oh, dogs, dogs, you know? Which is a lad called Murph. He's our word. What I'd like to do now, Tiger, is get into a bit more information about your business and uh, Breeze, Breeze Block. So tell me your, we're in an elevator, you've got 30 seconds, give me your best 30 seconds pitch. Go. Okay. Uh, first things first. I'm not a salesman, and I don't make pitches. Isn't that interesting, right? But I am. Um, Breeze Block is. What I want for Breeze Block is that it's a uh, a flexible office uh, provider um, that is focused on um, uh, focused on value for money end of the market. Okay. So I'd like to think that any business out there 
we can find a home for home okay. for right okay without it without them having to pay extortionate um rents uh, and at the same time without us having to compromise on the service that we give them that's it yeah that's that's very straightforward and sometimes straightforward is the best isn't it because there's no sort of fluff or confusion this is what you're getting essentially from us yeah i mean i i, I worked um i worked in the airline sector i mean i say i worked in the airline sector i was a check-in agent right okay and i worked uh, i worked for Aer Lingus at heathrow airport um for 10 years okay and um but, but you know at that time like at, when i initially joined like Aer Lingus and ba had a duopoly on the um on the england ireland routes but then people like ryanair came in and they you know they kicked the door down um and um another operators like easyjet and people like that and as i began to and uh, learn more about these airlines they were all based on a, an airline called Southwest Airlines out in the States. And that was set up by a chap called, I think, Herb Kelleher, somebody like that. And anyway, but it was set up, you know, back in the 70s, airline travel had very much been about, very much just for privileged people, really, or people with money, right? And Southwest Airlines just wanted to change that and just said, you know, we want to provide air travel for the masses. Yeah. And I guess, in a sense, I, I, I like the idea of uh, of BreezeBlock doing that, of providing because flexible office space um, can be very expensive, right? It's it's, it's a great concept. I, I've I've worked in the sector for uh, for twenty years, um, twenty years plus. But um, but having said that, and you know, and it, it's here to stay, and it it will only go one way now. I believe it it, it will expand uh, quite dramatically, and. Um, but by the same token, it can be it can be prohibitively expensive if you're a small company that does want to be in a really good location and that you do want the flexibility that that comes with with the package and you do want the service. Mm. So that's what I want to do is provide flexible office space for the masses. That's 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 beautiful. <laughs> I like it a lot. Thank you for that pitch. That is a uh, great. I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> that's my catchphrase. I've just made up just then for those pictures. I, I'll take it. Good man. Tyke. So, um, what do you think uh, the key? You talked a lot about sort of affordability, I guess, there then. Uh, what do you think is the key to remaining competitive on affordability um, and flexibility on, and location, I guess, on these in a growing marketplace? Yeah. Um, the key, I mean, has been for us has been the the deals we struck with landlords and the relationships we've, we've built with those landlords and um, that's been the key to us running a because you know to, to provide an you know affordable flexible office space uh, it might sound easy um, but if you want to provide that in really good locations and still provide a really good level of customer service yeah. well, how do you do that and still run a viable business yourself and um, and we've been able to do that, thankfully, um, uh, for most of the last five years. You know, maybe not the last year in particular, but for most of the last five years, we've been able to do that because we negotiated sensible rents and or deals with landlords, right? Uh, and you know, sometimes it's just that simple. Yeah. Okay. So it is, a, and, and certainly going forward. 
um, that's very much a, a, a part on, on, on what Breeze Block is based on, is to, you know, to, to negotiate sensible deals with landlords and with people, with, with corporates with excess space, uh, you know, who, who need to sublet that space, whatever, to come to sensible agreements with them so that we then in turn can provide them with a, with a good return, but also provide an affordable uh, option for our clients. Um, that's really interesting. And, um, and it looks like you've got some really good sites at the moment. I, lo- I looked on your website. You've got, um, you managed to got like 50,000 feet, aren't you, in total? Yeah, we have a total of 50,000 feet, uh, square feet. Um, we've got 42,000 square feet in uh, near London Bridge. Yeah. Uh, it's right on the north bank of London Bridge, St. Magnus House. And we've got uh, 10,000 square feet in uh, Eldon Street, uh, just two minutes walk from Liverpool Street Station. Wow. So um, we did. Ha- we have had other places too. Uh, we had uh, eleven thousand square feet in Waterloo. That building is now being redeveloped. Yeah. Um, that's that was our starting point, and we also managed about five thousand square feet near King's Cross. Um, so you know, sort of Waterloo, London Bridge, Liverpool Street, King's Cross have been the four areas that uh, so far that we have uh, we've traded in. And uh, yeah, we, we've been very fortunate. They've been they've been great for us. And in all those areas, the the buildings themselves were were secondary buildings. Yeah. Uh, that that's been kind, in particular to the one in Waterloo. Um, you know, but but uh, in really good locations, right? And where then we were able to either work with the existing fit out and improve it. Uh, well, actually, that's what we did in all instances, right? Yeah. We did that purely from a, uh, I, could, I could go off here and say, you know, it's very, uh, talk about sustainability, etc., right? But the truth is, we did it because I was funding the business myself, and I still yeah. do. And that was the only way we could do it, was by using what was there. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that, that's what we've done. Uh, and going forward, uh, hopefully, we'll do lots more of the same. Um. That's really interesting. One question of you is, how did you feel, knowing your story, how did you feel when you signed that first building? Yeah, um, uh, scared, right? <laughs> excited. Um, I, they're, actually, they're the two, so there was, uh, so I suppose that the two emotions that came up were, were fear and excitement, yeah, right? In equal measure, right? Um, but, you know, once you've, once you've signed, you know, you, you do your due diligence beforehand, you... You know, but, but ultimately, nobody's got a crystal ball. There's always a strong element of risk. And, um, you know, you, you, once you've signed and adopted, you can just put your head down and get on with it. And, uh, and that's what we did, you know. And we've, we've proven that, you know, that in, you know, in, yes, you do need to have really good, we've, got, we, we've always operated in really strong London locations. Um, but even in, in circumstances where the, the fabric of the building isn't fantastic, um, um, but you know you can put your own stamp on an individual floor and on your individual space and provide you know a really nice um, atmosphere uh, backed up with really good customer service for our clients. No, fair enough. Um, Tyke, um, you talked a lot about all the, the great locations that you're in and you, that you've been in. Um, how do you go about finding uh, a new flex location and building? And what do you? It's not to give away all your secrets, but what are you looking for when you try to find a new uh, location? 
Yeah, uh, and, and, and you're spot on, Dan. You know, look, at the starting point is the location, right? So, you know, we our, our, our model is based on us operating in central London, right? Yeah. There's a lot of talk recently about hope and, uh, hope, uh, hope and spoke models. Yeah. Okay? And, and, and I, I think that will, you know, of course, I, and I think the larger uh, outfits out there who will have, you know, locations centrally and then you spread out, I think that, that, that's a really good model. Um, and I think you'd see the regions that there is more pickup there than there had been, etc. So, you know, that's, that's all true. But, but for us, we're a smaller business and, you know, our, our, our business will always be core central London. Um, so location is always a starting point. You know, listen, within five minutes, um, ideally of a mainline rail station, but at least within five, of walking distance, uh, at least within five minutes of a tube station, okay? Um, in terms of the, the building itself, again, our model uh, is based on secondary buildings, so you're not going to find us, you know, in, in some iconic, you know, new building in London. We yeah. would be in a secondary building, but in a really good location. Mm. And, um, and it's then about the floor plate. You know, and, and, uh, you know, over the last five years, I saw a lot of new startups in the flexible office uh, sector. And a lot of them came in, I suppose, hanging off the coattails of WeWork, specifically. Yeah. But you couldn't help but, but, but wonder how in God's name were they ever going to make any money? Because they were paying extortionate rents, oftentimes in, uh, in locations that didn't necessarily work, but also then in, in buildings, and more specifically with floor plates, that didn't work. Okay. And um, and there's no black art to this game, Dan. You know, it's quite a simple business. Um, but um, but yeah. So that's what I'd say: location, building, floor plate, and then what sort of a deal can you strike with the landlord? Um, that's it. There you go. Um, for anyone listening there, they are the key secrets to uh, the flex space industry. There's no secret to it, right? There's no secret to it. But, um, but you know, I, I, I think if you, if you spoke to any, any operators, what they're sold out there, they, they, they'd say the same thing. Uh, and, yeah, I've spoken to lots of people, actually, as well recently that are also based in London and are not too stressed about the whole uh, hub and spoke model because they believe uh, essentially people will come back to London because it's so iconic. Um, I think, um, as well, a lot of people that are sort of pushing the uh, Hub and Spoke agenda have a lot to gain from the Hub and Spoke agenda. So I think we'll just see what happens rather than anyone really knowing what's happening. Yeah, but I don't see the Hub and Spoke as a threat to, no. um, to London. Far, far from it, right? I just think it's, I think it's exciting. I think it gives operators outside of London a, a, a chance to, to grow their portfolios if, if, that's, you know, if that's what they want to do. Uh, but by the same token, I think London, I, I've, I've been lucky enough to live and work in and around London for the last 35 years, right? And uh, it's a great place. It's a great town. Uh, you know, I, I came over here in the mid-80s from Ireland where, you know, unemployment was, you know, was, was, was through the roof, right? And it was just amazing to be able to, you know, jump on a bus and boat, come over here, we literally, you know, we got the buses used to come into Gloucester Road, right? And we, we got off the bus and you, you'd go into an employment agency straight away. And, you know, a lot of the time you'd have a job within the day. And it was just amazing. And I always, 
I always believe in London that if you want to work in London, you'll get work. Um, and I think London is just this hive of um, of activity, uh, and I think that will that will just continue, right? It'll change and it'll evolve, but I think you know we will always need office space in London. Do you know what I'm hearing as well today? I say I'm hearing. I read on the BBC this morning that uh, a lot of um, businesses are starting to sort of change their stance on the hybrid working, and that they're asking a lot of people to go back to work. So, for example, all these companies that like Twitter previously have said we're 100% working from home now. They're all sort of changing a little bit now if things come back to normal. So um, I wonder what, why that is and why that why everyone's doing that now. But And I wonder if it was a bit of PR exercise before to say we're all going uh, to be working everywhere. But it looks like essentially everybody is, all these big companies are all saying, going back to what they said originally. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think one of the, the changes that will come from this stuff, I, I think that uh, businesses will listen more to their employees in terms of how, you know, how does the employee want to work? No, you know, there are some businesses that they just need to be in the office, right? Okay, and, and, and fine. But there are other businesses where, you know, I, I think you will find that employees can work from home a certain number of days per week and then into the office. Um and I think this, and especially young people, right? I think for young people uh, specifically, I think older, older, more senior people, both in terms of position in companies and, and in years, I think have been working from home for some time for, you know, a few days a week, right? And, you know, but for younger people and more junior people in businesses, well, they didn't have a choice. It was like, well, you go into the office, working from home wasn't an option. Well, now it is, mm. right? Now it is. And young people at this time have proven that they can be productive working from home. But I think that they themselves will also want to be in the office from a social aspect. Yeah, but I also think from a learning and development point of view, they will need to be around other people um, because you learn by osmosis, right? You know, So when you're sat beside somebody in an office and you're just listening to how they deal with a, a, an issue or a, a task, whatever, they've done it a hundred times already, which you haven't done it, but you're learning from them, right? I think that's really important as well. But listen, um, these companies, uh, you know, I, I, I think for this time has proven people can be productive working from home. The office is no longer a, um, it's no longer like a necessity, right? It's, it's an option. And it's part of the menu of options that people have when they're going to base themselves, you know. So you've the office, you've got homeworking, you, you know, you've got the, the 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 cafe, or you've got you know some other drop-in center, whatever. And um, yeah, so that's it's it's just you know it's on the menu, but it's it's not it's not the one and only. Yeah, I agree with your ideas on um, young people sort of wanting to go into the office and also learning and things like that. Um, can you imagine, yeah, if you're starting out 18 years old and going to work and you just always work from home, that'd be, you wouldn't know where to start. You wouldn't have a clue what's, what the real world was like, would you? No, no. To interact with people and stuff. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. But listen, young people have been phenomenal during this period, right? Okay. And, um, and yes, but, you know, I think they will, I think they will lead to a large degree, you know, how, what the office looks like going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Tyke, you've talked a lot about service and stuff. Um, and I won't say and stuff again, because that was rubbish. <laughs> Sorry, making myself laugh. 
Um, the hotelification of the office seems to be a growing trend. Um, how important is service, uh, would you say, and how can you differentiate yourself? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I do. I do hear this phrase bandied around, uh, Daniel. Right uh, now, bear in mind, I, I, you know, I'm an old, I'm an old, I'm an old fogey in this industry. Right, I'm in it twenty-one years, whatever. But I, I think I was fortunate to work in 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 sectors before I joined the serviced office, the flexible office sector, like. In, in, at Aer Lingus and all that, you know, we, we, we did learn a lot about customer service, even just sat there at a check-in desk, right? And it was something that we, Aer Lingus was known for. Um, so I, I was lucky to be exposed to that sort of environment where, where, where service did count. Um, and then when I went into the, to the service office world, I, I worked with a MWB Business Exchange. And, um, you know, and, and, and I always felt that we gave a really good service there and that, you know, there are... We did an MD there, David Alberto, who had set up Avanta, and you know he he was always very keen that um, you know the customer service was at the forefront of what we did. Yeah. So I I um, you know I, I I don't use words like hotelification or, or, or whatever. Uh, what we're about is just look after the clients. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yes, we have a menu of services that we provide. But sometimes people need stuff outside of that. Listen to them, and if we can help them and do it for them, we do, right? Yeah. It's really simple. I, I sometimes it it, it 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 kind of frustrates me when people are talking about service like it's this new concept. <laughs> Just look after people. By and large, I have to say, clients are more and more self-sufficient, yeah. right? Okay. So there's a real onus on us when they do need help to get in there and rather than be looking, say, well, this is what we do and this is the SLA for this and that. Or, I mean, you know, I, I ban SLAs. I, I don't believe in them. If somebody has an issue, sort it, yeah. right? Just sort it. And, um, and that's it really, Daniel. I, 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 so, yes, of course, customer service is really important, but the fact that to even say that is the dog's back in the background here, if you can hear them. But the fact that people have to say that even, I think, is just, well, what in God's name are you talking? You know, of course, that's a given, right? That is a given. Um, and I, I, I think, I think that the issue sometimes, people don't feel they have the autonomy to make decisions, right? And I, you know, there's one of the providers in particular who are, you know, have actually done amazingly well, and they're a huge provider, and uh, and I've no doubt they have got great girls and boys who work with them, right? Okay. But by the same token, you know, we, we get a certain number of their customers who, who end up coming to us because they're not happy with the customer service or, you know, X, Y, and Z, right? Yeah. And invariably, when you speak to these people, actually, you know that the people on the ground are good people, right? But it's that they lack autonomy. They lack autonomy to make decisions, right? Yeah, I see, yeah. Okay? It isn't the people themselves. It's just the structure. And to be fair, with large, large, you know, companies, of course, you know, it tends to be a very top-down culture, right? Yeah. And, and And it is difficult. And, we, of course, people have got to keep a control on costs and this and that. So the, I think there's almost an air of inevitability about it. 
with the huge yeah. raters that actually, that by the time you know, it gets down to the people on the ground, they've little or no autonomy to make decisions, which really then impacts on their clients. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah. what you said there, that's really interesting. I think there's a, what I'm picking up is actually there's a major opportunity for the large providers to probably um, offer more autonomy to the people on the ground. Um, it could actually make a really big difference. But like you said, they're probably just right at the end of their making calls, who are making calls, who are making calls to get things sorted. And then customers just waiting around, essentially, for Correct. things to get done. Correct. That, that's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head, Daniel. Right. OK. And that's that, that, that's it. That's an issue. You know, it might be something as simple as, you know, I don't know, the light bulb in the hall or something like that. But somebody's got to get authority and sign off from somebody. And, you know, your, your area managers and district managers and regional managers and whatever, you know, yeah. uh, and that's that that's the nonsense that can happen. Um, so that that's, you know, hotelification, whatever. I, I, I don't um, I don't get involved in these in, 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 in kind of even thinking about that. It's 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 boots on the ground that can make decisions for our clients, right? That's what counts. I dig, I dig, and I guess hotelification is very much a like you say, just a redescription of something that is already going on, i.e., customer service, marketing, essentially, to to promote something uh, that's yes. the same as it's always been. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, in terms of service and things that you do, um, d does technology play a part in your offices, and do you have any particular uh, technologies that you work with um, that your customers may request or members may request? Um, basically, Dan, you know, what I know about IT, you could write on the back of a one-piece stamp, right, and you'd still have plenty of space left over. <laughs> So it's really important for me that we work with really strong IT providers, okay? Um, so what are clients really? Bandwidth is the big thing, right? You know, it's funny, you're right? You, you know, each individual business will have their own very specific and detailed IT requirements, but, you know, they tend to look after, right? But what they want really is really reliable broadband coming yeah to the building and office. You know, again, it's really straightforward, right? And that's what we make sure we do. We provide that um, in terms of, you know, and we have really good backup for it as well. So if one line, some clown sells through the, the line in the middle of the road that, you know, it switches over to another line, things like that. So we've got good resilience there. Um, and that really is, you know, I, I mean, this might sound like heresy to some people. Surely you have to be so involved in the in the technology side. But to me, I, I think that each individual business, and of course, if businesses come to us and say, look, we've got a specific IT uh, requirement or issue, we then get in our IT specialists to work with them. Yeah. I don't pretend for one minute, Dan, that, um, you know, that I, that I understand um, what they're talking about, but I make sure that we work with IT providers that do. That's yeah, the thing. And I think that's what I'd say about us as well. It's about knowing what you're good at, right? But also knowing then when you need to to outsource some stuff. But it's it's and it's a really big thing for us when we put our clients in the hands of our IT, yeah. um, uh, you know, of our IT team, um, that you know we've got to have the faith in that that IT company that they because they're they're representing us. Yeah, of course. No, so yeah. That, 
That makes total sense. Uh, it, it, you know, you're right. The, the number one bit of tech everybody needs, you know, is essentially internet, isn't it? Like um, nothing really works anymore without internet. So you get that, and then the rest can sort of be laid on top, and we get everything they need and whatever else they need in there. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. That is it's, that's that's it. Add water. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and that's the whole point, isn't it? It's it's a utility. Yeah. See. You know, that the whole point is with with IT provision now, it's very much seen as our client. It's like the, 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 the water, the gas, the electricity, it's another utility. That's what it is. You know, whereas, you know, going back 10, 15 years ago, whatever, you know, it was something that, you know, we provide, it was an extra revenue stream. It was, you know, nowadays, listen, people expect that when they come in. That, it's a given. Yeah. I remember 20 years ago, when the lights used to go out and stuff, and you'd have a power outage in the street, and you know all the lights would go off, and you'd be on candles and stuff, and that'd be really um, fun. But now you wouldn't even care about the lights; you'd just be like, "Oh no, the internet's off." Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Disaster. Um, so you said you've not got a crystal ball, but I'm going to ask you to take a peek into the five years of the future and ask you what flex space looks like um, for me, please, and so I can write it down and steal all your ideas. Go. Okay. Um, first thing, well, listen, there'll be a lot more of it, right? I mean, at the moment, if we look at London, I think something like 6% of, um, you know, of leases are, are, are on flexible terms, right? I think going forward, depending on what you read, but over the next five years, that might rise to 12 or 15 or even 20%, okay? Who knows? So, but there'll be a lot more of it, right? Wow. That's the first thing, okay? So this is a market that will... You know, it will at the very least double. But is I, that I, it? Six percent? Yeah. Wow, the opportunity is outrageous, right? Outrageous, right? Absolutely, and it's really exciting. It's really, really exciting. Okay. Um. So you know, for any of us operators there, you know, yeah, the last twelve months have been brutal, right? And but it's been about survival, because we all believe. Listen, hang on here. Stay in the game, because you know. This is this this is going to get very exciting over the next five years, okay, and beyond. Um, what will it look like? I promise you. I, I I if I gave you a detailed answer, I'd be you know full of BS, right? I I, I don't know is it true, right? If I've learned anything over the last year, right, it's that you know things that we thought were 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 definite and sure actually have gone out the window. Um, albeit, I, I will also say that what the last year has done has just, it's accelerated what was already happening, but at a much, much slower pace, okay? But I think that, I think the, I think the use of offices, um, in some respects might stay the same, but I think how companies, you know, some people might be working from the office two days a week, others three days a week, I think that will come more into play. Um, the offices may be being used for more collaborative reasons. I mean, everybody loves to use the word collaboration and whatever, and that's great. Yeah, I can see all that. You know, th there might be more emphasis on the, the meeting areas, the meeting rooms, you know, Zoom rooms, whatever. But other than that, Daniel, I honestly, you know, it, it also won't surprise me if in five years' time we walk into offices and think, actually, yeah, it's... You know, there's still people here, right? And, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, that, that there isn't that much of a difference. But I, I don't know. 
is the truth. But it, you know, we we'll um, we'll enjoy the ride and and see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I I can't think of any predictions and. You know, I spoke to 100 people on this show, but, uh, you know, pretty much everyone says something just a little bit different. So it's really interesting to get your, your thoughts there, Ty. Thank you very much. Um, and okay. thank you for all your answers today. Uh, it's been super interesting, and I, I've certainly learned a lot from you. Um, what I would like to end with is my favourite part of this, this show, because I, I, I want to laugh. And I want you to make me laugh at all the uh, many listeners that we have. So, Ty, it's time for uh, the co-working joke. Um are you ready to deliver some lols? Well, I mean, you did, to be fair, tell me that this was coming up, right? And uh, it was the one part that I was thinking, oh, Christ, you know, what am I going to say? Yeah. And I looked up and I, I looked jokes online and I, I have to tell you, Daniel, I, I couldn't find anything, right? And I, I, I couldn't find anything that I, you know, felt comfortable trying to, you know, uh, trying to tell. But I, it, it did come to me. I, I did think to myself, well, I could just... I could just share with you our company accounts for the last 12 months. <laughs> right? You know? And, uh, and that's the best I could come up with today. It's just to say, you know, what a, what a friggin' 12 months we've had, right? Whereby we have, um, you know, we, 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 we've had some pretty tough times. We're small business, but, um, and it's been a real lesson to us, right? We, you know, thankfully, when, with some good years, you know, uh, in the preceding three, four years, right? And, um, but obviously the last year, uh, you know, was, was brutal. But it's that old expression, you know, putting something by for a rainy day. And we have been able to survive um, because we, we didn't go absolutely bananas when things were going well. Um, I think we're, we're, we're you know, we're, we're quite cautious, we're quite safe quite prudent. That mightn't sound all that exciting, but it's the truth. Um, but, um, but yeah, and also, you know, over the last 12 months, we've had some amazing support from our, our landlords, right, who've been phenomenal, um, from our staff, who have just been, you know, wonderful, right, and, um, and from our clients, who have been honourable, who've been honest, and who stuck by us? Um, so that, that that might sound all that funny, <laughs> I have to say. And for all that, you know, for all that, you know, it, yeah, we, we still had some really dark times, but we've got through it. And um, yeah, we're still standing, in the words of Elton John, and uh, we'll uh, and, and we'll continue to do so. Um, and I'm I, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm immensely uh, grateful to be able to say that. And, and, and I'm like grateful to all those, um, all those stakeholders that I mentioned. Uh, lovely words to finish on, Tyke. I think what I love about your business is that you're, and you is that you're very straightforward and to the point, and there's no sort of like dressing up things in things that uh, that is already done well. So you're all about customer service, you're all about affordability, and you're all about location, and you're just getting those really, really three things right. You know, I think that will make a massive difference to your members and customers. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. It's been super interesting, and I'd love to ask you more questions, certainly about your business, but we'll save it for a drink. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been fishy and delishy. It's been Brussels sprouts. <laughs>